Come on. Quick ask before we get started today, I am working to help people lead happier and more contented lives. My part of that is money. So if you enjoyed today's episode or if you've enjoyed past episodes, please take a minute and leave a quick review on iTunes. Subscribe. That helps uh, the show climb up the rankings and helps more people uh, find it. So thanks a lot. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Brian Bradley. Brian, are you ready to do this? I'm ready to do this, George. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Let's do this. Brian is an asset protection attorney. He's been recognized as a lawyer of distinction, a super lawyer's rising star, as well as several other honors. He is also a speaker and a consultant. I'm excited to have you on. Brian, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, so there's a lot into that first question, but as you <laughs> said, I'm an asset protection attorney. <laughs> I'm an asset protection attorney, and you know, I got it's it's a unknown area of law, but an area that everybody, if you're investing or starting, you know, businesses, uh, looking to self invest for your retirement, needs to know about. And I got into this area of law from the litigation side um, and having clients being sued and just their lives turned completely upside down. And um, I also always had a passion for investing in money and passive cash flow. And I wanted to get ahead of lawsuits and help clients by adding value for that. And so the issue really comes down to, you know, once you have it, how do you keep it and protect it? Mm -hmm. um, and you have no financial freedom or security if it's not protected. And you know, like I like what on one of your prior podcast episodes, you said it yourself the best. You know, nobody's coming to save you. The government is not going to save you. Your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, <laughs> whoever it is, they're not going to be there to save you. You know, but you can be proactive and protect yourself. And like, that's exactly what we're talking about today. And so what I do is more advanced strategic planning. And we're focusing up on, you know, setting up systems and teams uh, with different tools and affiliations that we have in our network for clients that essentially outgrew a basic LLC setup. And then we're doing all of this while keeping in mind the overall goal of asset protection really is lifestyle preservation, peace of mind, and changing the way predators are going to view you. And then specifically with you know my firm and my network, we just work with clients who need this advanced excess planning and you know managing their risk and their liability better. Um, and this helps clients if and when they ever are attacked to get to the negotiating table even faster and for pennies on the dollar for settlements. Um, and it comes with, you know, I'll be upfront, a little bit higher of an initial startup costs, like generally around seventeen to thirty thousand um, dollars. But on the other side, the client profile and their needs, and especially kind of, I think your listeners um, would benefit from this, is their exposure is more, their risk, their visibility is more. Um, they're generating a higher uh, earning capacity, and so their net worth is higher. Got it. Well, I appreciate everything you just said. So. All right. So for folks who have outgrown an LLC, um, so these are, is, is, is there like a profile that, that, that you have typically maybe just as a starting point? I'm sure the sky's the limit. I mean, Bill Gates probably needs to obviously do this kind of planning, but when, is there a certain amount of revenue that, that you certainly, or that you kind of look to or, or income? Yeah, I think for the, for what we're, you know, going to probably be talking about today, like exemption planning and jurisdiction selections. 
Um, I would say if you're investing or you're thinking about investing, you gotta, you gotta protect yourself even at a base level. And that's starting with LLCs. You know, LLCs are great entry points, especially if money's tight. Um, you don't want to own assets in your name and it helps uh, limit some liability. But there gets to a point in the stage where your net worth reaches a point to where you either have to create so many more additional LLCs to separate the assets out that it's no longer really financially manageable. Um, plus the maintenance on that is going to be a nightmare. So there's better protection forms as well as um, systems that actually add value to the clients and that also make it more manageable. And yeah. So the net worth I kind of, uh, we work with, um, when you hit that, I talked talk to clients about exemption planning and jurisdiction when they hit that $1 million net worth mark. Just to start preparing for them, there's going to be a point where pretty soon you're not going to be able to get the full protection of LLCs that you think you're going to have. You really need to have this conversation once you hit about that 3.54 million net worth mark. Um, and that's just because at that point, it's taking a long time to make that kind of money and one lawsuit can completely wipe it out. But then you're also now, you know, most likely an accredited investor. You're getting deals that not everybody has. You're getting higher return on investments. So now, even though it took you such a long point to get to that point, you're now going to substantially grow a lot faster from, you know, 5 million to 10 million to 15 million very fast. So you need a system that actually works now with your new reality. Got it. Appreciate that. All right. So let's take a step back. I should have asked you right off the top. What, what is exemptions planning? Yeah. So it's a great question. And exemption planning is one of the main staples um, in the asset protection world besides just picking a jurisdiction. But it's also one of the less known, especially in California. Um, we start with exemption planning because if the asset qualifies an exemption, what it is is a legal right under the law. It's just automatically protected. Um, now, exemptions are going to vary state by state, and it's an advanced form of asset protection, so your listeners should go and talk to their lawyers you know, to figure out what those state exemptions are. But a few good examples, and one I really want to break down in more detail, the first one is Florida homestead exemptions, just because I think everybody knows what a homestead is, so it's easy to wrap your mind around. So, for example, in Florida, your home, regardless of its value, is absolutely protected from creditors as long as it's contained with one-fourth of an acre. Like, this is an exemption. It's an absolute legal right. And this is, for example, how O.J. Simpson, the famous NFL football player, kept his NFL mansion and his I mean, his Florida mansion and his NFL pension. Um, he was acquitted from murder, but then got sued civilly for wrongful death. And they took him for literally everything that he had, except for his Florida mansion, because it was exempt. And I'm sure that a really high percentage of your listeners come from California. You know, you have a great podcast and there's a lot of, you know, high population in California. And the great thing for them is that they live in a state that surprisingly is the only state to grant full exemption protection for any asset that would qualify to be placed under a private retirement plan. And this was codified under CCP section 704.115 way back in the 70s. And so it's been around for a while, but not many people know about it. And when you're using this specific exemption, you know, if you want to talk about adding value for your listeners, just with exemption planning and over the last 24 months, we've been able to protect over you know, $600 million in assets and saved over $40 million in taxes just by working on the side with our trust administrators and going and looking for missed tax benefits and credits and finding missed dollars. And so that's where part of this addition, you know, the um, 
higher level of planning comes into play is you're actually getting an ad value and it's organically finding money for you, which comes with a higher level of um, protection. Got it. Okay. And now certainly we're talking about California and now Florida. So the next part of that is, is the jurisdiction. So how does that play in? Yeah. So jurisdiction is the next big issue when you're, if one thing is not every state is going to have different exemptions and sometimes you're going to have what's needed excess planning. Let's say you have $50 million, you know, just as an easy number and we can only exempt 20 million of it. You have a lot more money that still needs to be protected or you just may live in a state that has none of these extra exemptions. And so you need another form of protection. And so that's where jurisdiction comes into play. And so what jurisdiction means is that the laws and the rules that govern you and trust and business entities are going to be different from one jurisdiction to another. And this means from one state to another, one country to another. And so you have two options when you're picking a jurisdiction. You can either establish them domestically in the U.S. And like, for example, you have Nevada Asset Protection Trust, or you can set them up offshore in another country like the Cook Islands. Um, And we can, if you want, do a compare and contrast kind of of what's the power of offshore, what's some pros and cons of it, what are some pros and cons of domestic, and is there a workaround? How's that sound? Got it. That, that, That sounds great. If we if we could real okay. quick though, let me let me take a step back and yeah. we'll use the same example that that let's just use me. I'm worth fifty million dollars. I can exempt twenty million yeah. of it. Um, how 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 would I have done that? What 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 are some quick examples of how I would have already done that? So so if you were a California resident, we'll go okay. with the you know private retirement plan um, example. Um, you would have to you'd have to fill out a diagnostic which would then calculate your uh, earning capacity to the years of your, you know, when you choose to retire. And then your assets would have to then qualify through um, a statistical analysis. And you have to prove to the court that the funds that you're putting into this private retirement plan actually are needed and that they're reasonably based for retirement at whatever time down the line. And so when you go through the, um, the, the analysis and the metrics of it, it breaks down numerically what number we can reasonably justify to exempt. And then we just move those assets out of your personal name and into the private retirement planning structure with the trust. And then you don't want to overfund the, the trust just because uh, it would weaken it if it was ever challenged because you need to have a reasonable base need for it. And that just all comes through the statistics of it. Um, and you always want to stay in legal compliance, which is where you come in. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Which is where, which is where we come in and just making sure, you know, like if you go to a lawyer and he says, I'm just going to throw everything into this, um, exemption plan and not have any supported documentation to show the reasonable need for it. Mm. Most likely if it were to be challenged, it won't be upheld. Um, that's where most of these would crumble. And then all the ones that are upheld is saying, no, we have, you know, three years going back showing documented evidentiary need based off the algorithms and the metrics and the analytics. And so it, it gets really advanced and it's just based off of pure statistics. Got it. And like so many other things in life, Brian, this is something you want to do right the first time. So, so I appreciate that. All right. So, exactly. so thank you for answering that. All right. So now with the other 30 million looking at um, yeah. excess exemptions, Nevada versus 
and it's Nevada. Yeah, like offshore and, you know, how do you combine kind of the best of both worlds? Okay, and great. so, you know, I originally said you can go offshore or domestic. Um, I prefer the power of going offshore if and when, you know, you ever have the ability to. And it's simply because it's the best home court advantage. And the power of the foreign offshore trust like the Cook Islands is that it has what's called statutory non-recognition of another jurisdictional court orders. What that means is if you take a court order to the Cook Islands, they're just going to tell you to go pound sand. We don't care. Um, that judgment is just completely worthless. Uh, they would have to start the case all over from scratch, facing the highest legal standard in the world, the murder standard, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, the plaintiff would have to front the entire cost of the trial, plus flying a judge from New Zealand. The claim isn't amendable, meaning you know once that complaint is filed, it can never be amended after the discovery process. And if you lose, you pay. And so with the proof beyond a reasonable doubt, whoever is going to sue you most likely is already going to lose. And the statute of limitations there is one year. So by the time they realize that's where they need to sue you, they probably already missed their chance at swinging the bat. Um, but like I said, there's pros and cons to everything, and there's pros and cons to going purely offshore. And so if you're going to you know, go purely offshore, I'll just start off with being effective. I mean, that's five out of five stars. Like nothing really beats statutory non-recognition. But when you look at the other three factors that we really look at is control, cost, and compliance is going to fall a little short. And that's just because for a foreign trust to work, you have to be out of control and subject to a foreign trustee. The annual maintenance costs are going to be a lot higher. And if you're purely foreign, um, you're going to have a lot more IRS reporting and disclosures that you're going to have to get, you know, um, file like IRS forms 3520s and the 3528s. And so we only use the purely foreign option for about 5% of our clients. Like for most people, it's overkill. Um, and so now if we want to compare this to purely domestic, the purely domestic asset protection trust, um, they're going to be less expensive. They're going to be easier to maintain, but they fail on effectiveness and control. And they fail on those foundations because of um, the basis of what we want with asset protection. Uh, the foundation for asset protection is to not recognize another jurisdictional court orders or to have an exemption. Um, but the hallmark of the U.S. legal system is the U.S. Constitution. And so we have the full faith and credit clause, meaning every state has to give full faith and credit to another court, another state's court orders. So you just can't run from judgments in the U.S. And so when your listeners are looking and weighing their options, like, wow, this offshore thing sounds really cool. And then there's this domestic option, you know, which do you pick? And if you don't need to go purely foreign, then I would say actually you pick neither. And so we use and have what's called a bridge trust. And it's a hybrid of a domestic and a foreign asset protection trust. And we combine the best of both worlds. And this was created over 30 years ago. And we just use the word bridge to demonstrate. Um, I think it's easier to visualize for people how we're using a foreign trust and connecting two countries together with a bridge. And then we just cross the bridge to the safety of the Cook Islands if and when you ever are under attack. And then when the attack leaves and we settle the claim for pennies on the dollar, we move everything back to the U.S. And for your CPA and lawyer listeners or like your listeners who really like to geek out and know a little bit of the detail, um, the bridge trust is what's called a grantor trust. And what that means is that the creator, the person who creates that trust retains some of the power with it. Um, and like all asset protection trust, it's self-settled, meaning uh, settled by you for you as your own beneficiary. And then the win-win and the value add for using this hybrid 
Um, for the purposes of IRS reporting disclosures, this bridge trust is actually going to be considered domestic, not foreign. And this is because it's drafted to specifically meet the USC Section 7701 um, test, which is the court test and the control test. And for the non-CPA, the non-lawyers, um, what this means is it benefits you in tax purposes. It means none of the foreign IRS filings or asset disclosures of any kind. It's going to be cheaper on cost and annual maintenance. But on the protection side and the purposes of what you're setting it up for, you now have the strength and power of the Cook Islands and statutory non-recognition in your back pocket if and when you ever need it. Um, but, you know, the cost of setting up a bridge trust just to be upfront is a higher and more advanced level of protection. And it generally comes with a starting cost of $30,000. Um, but again, you know, you're talking about a higher net worth clients with higher risk. Um, professionals and, you know, investors who have a lot more assets, exposures, or doctors with high malpractice suits that actually would need this type of protection. Got it. <clears throat> oh, I appreciate that very much. And I, I think that you answered my questions. I, I was curious about how people access um, these, how, how they have control over them. But it sounds like because they are grantor trusts and self-settled that you are able to, to still have access to the assets inside of them. Correct. And with the bridge trust part of it, it's still domestic until the triggering event like a lawsuit comes into effect. And then the, we already have established um, the foreign because it, it is technically a foreign asset protection trust. And then we already have the Cook Island trustee already established. It's already there waiting in existence and they've already done their due diligence on your trust and your assets to where if it ever were triggered, it just automatically slides over to the Cook Islands. And then to protect, you know, the, the nostalgia of, oh, my God, I'm going to be out of control with, you know, someone in the Cook Islands, you know, over, you know, having control over my trust. That's not I think that's just, you know, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, um, you know, falsities there. Um, we build in trust protectors that oversee the trust um, and the trustee just to protect from a real trustee. We use the most accredited and long existing um Cook Island trustees that have been around. And this is exactly what the Cook Islands created their statutes for, you know, in the early 80s. So it's the longest existing, most powerful form of protection in the world. Um, so it, I would be pretty comfortable for your listeners to use it. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, that the Cook Islands, it sounds like they're in business to uh, to do this kind of business. So exactly. Got it. Excellent. Well, Brian, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah, I would just say, don't do this yourself. You know, like for your DIYers, I know you're used to building your own business or investing and in doing all your analysts, you know, analyzing on your own, but creating your own asset protection trusts or going to LegalZoom and picking up, you know, creating your own LLCs isn't going to protect you if it's ever tested. So I would just say, you know, if you have a protection system, go and get a trust administrator. If you don't already have a protection system, don't try to create it yourself go to the professionals, you know, vet the attorneys, um, listen to the advisors, get good advice, take less hats off so you can do, you know, be good at what you're doing, making money, building your business, doing your day job. Let the professionals help you because then you're going to actually make more money and save your money. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. There's a time and a place for DIY, and this does not sound like one of them. So, so I appreciate that very much. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? 
Yeah, so they can jump on my website, www.btblegal.com, and we do, I do free diagnostics. They can just go onto my website, click the diagnostic. It takes about five minutes to uh, fill out, and then they'll get the report automatically generated. And then if they want to talk about it in more detail, then we have a whole breakdown of a long version of the diagnostic. And I used to charge for the evaluation, but I would just much rather have people have access to the information and then make their own decisions and not say, well, I don't want to pay, you know, the consultation fee to get some good advice. So I just do the consultation for free and they can, you know, take, take and leave what they don't like. I like it. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Brian your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to btblegal.com. Check out all the great resources that Brian has on the site, as well as the free diagnostic tool. Thanks again, Brian. No, thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step-by-step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out and go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!